Join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard lessons from the best and brightest the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are on your personal path. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Now here's your host, John Johnson. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at ballisticradio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, class announcements, and uh, other stuff at facebook.com slash ballisticradio. Hey, Joe. What's going on? Not too much. How, how have you been, sir? I've been around. You know how it is? Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Hey, guess what? What's that, John? Chuck Haggard's on the show. All right. Hey, Chuck, how's it going? Not too bad. Well, so I think you or Claude Werner are like neck and neck for most appearances on the show, and I would have to, uh, I'd have to go back and look. But, but I do know this: you actually made the first appearance on the show compared to Claude way, way way back a long time ago. Um, but I, for, for those that are maybe new to the show or have just missed those episodes or I don't know, been under a rock, uh, who are you and what do you do? So, um, <laughs> uh, kind of a busted up, uh, supposed to be retired copper, uh, on my second career. I'm in my 34th year of law enforcement now. Um, retired from one gig after 28 years, uh, did, and I'm working full-time for another police job. Part-time, I'm a sheriff's deputy, and uh, I've got my own business, Agile Training and Consulting. Uh, I'm also a national trainer for National Law Enforcement Training Center out of Kansas City, which uh, their entire premise of their work is uh, reasonable use of force and law enforcement instructor level training. Um, and I think pertinent to the conversation we're going to have today, I was an adjunct instructor for Stratagos International, uh, primarily focusing on low light instructor and active shooter instructor training schools for, I don't know how long. Um, it was a while. Isn't that funny how if you do something long enough and somebody asks you a question, you're like, um, I don't know. That that was a that was a minute ago, and a, I did it for a long time. I, I ran into that recently, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, I remember I do, that, uh, kind of. I do that with uh, firearms instruction and uh, my OC classes. And when I look back, I think I started in like 88 in both those endeavors. But like I say, it's been a while. And uh, me and a friend were talking about AR-15, M16 platforms and and use, and I realized that I have been using them for 41 years now. Well, I mean, that's pretty impressive because you're only like, what, 41 and a half, something like that? You started really (laughs) early. Man, I wish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I still had attributes like reflexes and cartilage when I was 40. Knees that worked. That's uh, that's the thing that I miss the most is knees that worked, but 
So what I what I want to talk about, and you know, I want to I want to give a couple caveats because I absolutely know um, that because I'm going to reference something, and I'm not going to reference it specifically, but someone's going to hear it and think that I'm throwing shade at a particular dude, and I'm not. I actually, uh, the dude in question, I actually think puts out a lot of good stuff. But what I have been running into lately is in several Facebook groups that I'm in, the topic of weapon-mounted lights comes up. And I, I certainly don't have the depth or length of experience that you do with that particular subject, but I do know a little bit more than the average picnic basket because of some some jobs that uh, I've had and one of one of the things that gets you know referenced whenever um, this conversation comes up is a video that a guy made that essentially says weapon mounted lights are mandatory and I want to be really specific uh, I'm not commenting on any of that guy's other stuff I think he puts out a lot of great content I'm not not trying to start any feuds or anything like that, but I do want to talk about the idea that weapon-mounted lights are mandatory, and specifically for private citizens that are carrying a gun concealed. I have my thoughts on that, and and you know I'm sure we'll get into them at some point. But I figured I would rather bring you on because I know that. Uh, I know that I have learned quite a bit from you, and I suspect I can guess some of the things that you might say to that. So my first question, what would you say to someone that said, for a private citizen in public, weapon-mounted lights are necessary? I would say when you make extraordinary claims that you need to provide extraordinary proof of your assertion. Uh, because the <clears throat> information, training, experience, and my, my experience working nights is substantial. My experience working SWAT is substantial. Uh, I've gone, you know, just in the SWAT realm, I've done more than 2,200 high-risk warrants uh, over a 17-year period with the, the team that I was with. We, we had a high uh, action tempo. 25 out of my 28 years of my previous career, I was spent on some sort of night shift as a working street cop, uh, and I was out there very, very busy. Um, and then noting my, my level of training experience, I'm not anti-weapon mounted light. I had legacy uh, Surefire lights on my SWAT pistols that I paid for myself back in the 90s. You know, as soon as you could stick a light on a pistol, uh, I was doing it. Uh, my long gun experience goes back to, remember, hose clamps and mag lights? Yep. Um, I was one of those guys. Uh, and then uh, 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 <laughs> a big upgrade was a 6P and 100 miles an hour tape on a 100 uh, mile an hour tape on, on a carbine. That was a big step forward as far as weight and capability. But uh, my assertion would be the opposite, that the demonstrated need <clears throat> for a pistol-mounted light in a concealed carry or off-duty cop scenario approaches absolute zero. Mm -hmm. I would say that it was absolute zero, but uh, I'm I'm not a big fan of doing never and always. Yeah, 
but the the niche that that would be the niche of the nichiest black swan event that I could think of. Um, and when we look at what really happens on the street, and I'm talking even street level cops doing police work at night, the need for a pistol mounted light is extraordinarily low, and they are actively hunting bad guys. Or they're supposed to be, um, right? And and that and that's kind of <clears throat> to, to be clear. Uh, the the only reason this is a conversation, if someone said, you know, I like to have one, and it doesn't cost me much to carry one, so I've got one. I'd be fine with that, and it wouldn't be a conversation at all. I I am specifically trying to address. Because I, I had a I had a student in class uh, last weekend, uh, great lady. Her and her husband were in class, and she's carrying a G twenty six with one of the Streamlight G twenty six size weapon mounted lights on the gun, and she's having a hard time finding holsters that conceal well mm-hmm. or comfortably. And she's operating under the assumption, well, I need to have this. And I started having a conversation with her, and she had read some stuff that I had written online. And, you know, I get a text message, like, you know, a couple days after class, hey, I decided to pull that off the gun. Thanks for talking me through it. And, And the amount of effort and stuff that she was putting into it because she was under the assumption that, Hey, unless I have this on my gun, I'm not taking this seriously. It it just kind of bugged me. And it, it sort of bugged me before because, you know, there are a lot of newer people that are coming into this and they're looking at what other people are doing and saying and making, you know, financial decisions and resource decisions with without any, you know, critical thinking on, on their part, just because not that they're not capable of it, but just because they don't have the information, like they just don't know. And, and that's that's kind of why I wanted to spend some time on this. So you were you were saying that you know you you don't want to say it's absolute zero. I'm aware of exactly one uh, private citizen in public defensive gun use that involved a weapon mounted light that actually got turned on, and that's kind of the other thing too. So. To, to sort of build off of what you were saying, why do you think they're not useful outside of a very specific set of circumstances? Are there some factors there that sort of defy One, what, um, what people think, I guess? People, people talk about, well, you know, uh, most of your felonies occur during the hours of darkness. Yes, true. They also do not occur in the pitch dark ninja cave because the bad guys have to be able to see you. If you look at urban lighting where the vast majority of our things like carjackings, person robberies, things like that, these things occur at convenience store parking lots, Walmart parking lots, and transitional spaces um, <clears throat> that tend to be rather well lit. Uh, I, I'm a big fan because they are, in fact, seamless and almost uh, zero cost to you. I'm a big fan of night sites, but I will tell you that uh, for the same reasons, tritium sites are also very niche as far as like what the tritium actually gives you. Yeah. 
But unlike weapon-mounted lights, uh, they don't bring a size, bulk, uh, or training uh, saturation cost with them that uh, the weapon-mounted lights most certainly do. As you noted, they uh, limit your ability to conceal a gun. They limit your ability to find holsters. And then a greatly underappreciated factor with the weapon-mounted lights is the extra training load that is required to, one, use it safely, because weapon-mounted light on, on pistols is a source for a lot of negligent discharges that are occurring in law enforcement nowadays. Uh, and then, two, to use it tactically effectively, because what you are doing is standing behind the light during the time that you're using it. So if you use it incorrectly, lights draw vision, lights draw fire. That's a fact. I know people poo-poo that. Quite frankly, I don't think, uh, you know, we used to have arguments before the UFC on, you know, what's your best fighting style, and guys would argue for kung fu or taekwondo or something like that. And when we pressure tested all this stuff, we quickly figured out exactly what's working. Where I see most people using weapon-mounted lights or pistol-mounted lights in some sort of, I'm making air quotes here, low-light training is either on the range or in a live-fire shoot house. And what they're not doing is pressure testing that against another person and things like force-on-force force where the target gets to shoot back and gets to do things like react to your poor tactics and your poor light usage. Well, and that's actually something I want to talk about a little bit more, uh, but we have to go to break. Right now we're talking with Chuck Haggard. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the EDC X9 series of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability with modern service pistol capacity, as well as reliability at wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Chuck Haggard about weapon-mounted lights, and you were saying before the break that one of the things that the people, well, there, there were two things you brought up, and I don't know which one we want to, yeah, actually I do. I do know which one I want to get into first because uh, the negligent <laughs> discharge, I want to give that enough time because there are a lot of things going on there. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the training thing. And this is kind of interesting to me is the number of people that, you know, again, if somebody's got a weapon mounted light on the gun, I can, <clears throat> I'm not going to say it's an all the time thing, but that is generally an indicator that someone has at least thought about training and is probably doing at least some level of basic pistol training. Like if I run into somebody that's carrying a weapon mounted light, I assume that they at least know that there's this community and maybe they've been to a class or two. So this is someone, again, I'm making generalized statements, not an all the time thing, but that's kind of my perception. This is someone that at least recognizes, hey, I probably need to learn how to use this gun. But the funny thing is, whenever these conversations come up, 
most of the people that are bringing it up very rarely talk about the training requirement that goes into it. And they think, well, I slapped the light on the gun. I'm good to go. It's just a flashlight. And, and that, yeah. and that strikes me as, uh, <laughs> well, wrong, just flat out wrong. And, and the other thing too, and I, you sort of brought this up because you were talking about force on force and stuff like that. Most of the low light force on force that's done is done inside of facilities and is done inside of lighting conditions that I don't find to be particularly accurate for the environments that a concealed carry person is going to be operating in. What, what would you say to that? Oh, I, I would agree completely. Uh, that's, that's been my experience. Um, <clears throat> and we look at, you know, if we steal uh, Pat Rogers' uh, mission drives the gear train thought, you know, exactly what's your mission. Uh, and then part of part of what your mission is is that, <clears throat> you know, Met T dictates everything. What are, what are your conditions on the ground going to be? You know, <laughs> having this conversation uh, here the other day with a friend of mine, uh, one of the few valid uh, cases of uh, non-law enforcement, non-military weapon-mounted light use that I can come up with is, a dude I know that's carrying a 10 millimeter pistol on his person in Alaska. Now, are you much more likely to be in a pitch dark, no moon night out camping and you get a bear trying to eat you through your tent? Yeah, that's, that's much more likely to happen as far as lighting conditions than you are to, you know, if you're in the ninja cave and nobody can see, then how are the bad guys supposed to find you to rob you, carjack you, otherwise victimize you? It, it's when we when we look at the what's actually going on in the real world, not implausible scenarios, not black swan events, not stuff that people pull out of their butt. When we look at what's really going on the scenarios in which a weapon-mounted light would be even remotely useful are almost absolutely zero. Uh, people get robbed in parking lots. They get robbed, you know, they get carjacked, uh, whatever, at the uh, uh, the convenience store. You know, that's, that's where stuff like this happens. Uh, very seldom do you have these very, you know, like, like you noted, these no-light uh, venues or scenarios in which that you really, really need that, uh, and the distance on the shot to make one hand on the gun like super, super, or I mean two hands on the gun super, super important, you know. Um, very, as much as uh, most of us don't want to admit it, very few of us are uh, action guys, you know, like on a tier one team or doing the kind of work where that niche of a tool is actually going to be useful. Uh, so, yeah, if you don't get the training, I can tell you a lot of people don't see what the problem is because uh, they haven't been involved in the court cases I've been involved in. They haven't been involved in the after actions I've been involved in. They haven't been involved in trying to uh, defend police departments against wrongful death lawsuits because somebody utilized a weapon-mounted light incorrectly and uh, torched one off and killed somebody. Well, and that was something you brought up. And what's funny is there's video of it happening. There was, you know, and I don't know how the cases were adjudicated, but there are certain videos that if you know what you're looking at 
and you watch it happen, you're like, oh, yeah, I know what happened there. And there, there was the one that always springs to mind. There was a cop in Louisville. They were going through. Oh, yeah. You know the video I'm talking about. They were going through. Oh, absolutely. They were going through looking for a dude. He was behind a mattress. Officer goes to activate the light. She does. Uh, she tries to use her trigger finger to do it and cooks around in the guy and says, I, I want to say on the video, oh, shit. Like immediately yeah, it, after it's shooting. Literally, she's screeching, show me your hands. Then there's bang and then there's an oh, shit. Yep. Yep. I've, I've watched that video a hundred times. Uh, that's what, that's one of the things that I talk about is you have task saturation. Yep. The vast majority of people that I see carrying a pistol cannot reliably cannot reliably pull the trigger correctly more times than not. Nor can they can they uh, stop themselves from doing things like muzzling targets that don't need to be muzzled, or keep their finger off the trigger when they shouldn't have their finger on the trigger. Training ourselves to utilize rule two and rule three effectively is a task load all its own that most people are not competently trained at. And I'm including cops with this. I have to fight that all the time. Now we're going to add an extra piece of gear that suckers us into doing things like putting muzzles in places where they shouldn't be because we're utilizing the light incorrectly. And we're doing that often with the trigger finger sneaking into the trigger guard. Well, so let's do this because I I really think that, you know, if we're going to have this conversation, we need to discuss what, especially in the private citizen context, what a light is useful for in public and what it's not useful for in public. And so, and if I'm missing one, uh, please... uh, Please add to it, right? But it seems that most people think the primary use of a light in public is positive identification of a target. So that's one of the possible yep. things you can use a light for. And, and we can talk about whether yep. or not that's necessary in a second. Uh, IDing a target correctly is always necessary, but whether or not a light is necessary to do that. Um, you've got navigation. You've got control. So like controlling someone's visual information uh you've got communication and i think there's another one that is just slipping my mind this morning but can can you think of anything else or does that pretty much cover it as far as what a light actually does if if you look at what we basically would do with lights and break it down to you know simpler than what you put it on it is we utilize lights to see things better we utilize lights as an attention getting tool. So, uh, you know, just as, as a beat cop, what might I use my, uh, like a handheld light for? I would use it to see like in a deep dark basement when I'm looking for bad guys, I would use it to see the address on a house to make sure I'm at the right place when I'm walking up in the dark. I would use it to direct traffic, which is a communication tool. So private citizens do do the exact same thing. Uh, you know, one of the times in my life that I didn't have a light, I was changing a flat tire in the dark in the rain. Uh, I really could have used something as, as you know, j- just rudimentary, like a mini mag light or anything at that point would have made my life a whole lot easier. Uh, 
So you can utilize light to signal in a mock or managing unknown contact scenario. Yep. Uh, say you got somebody, I, I had one, I was walking in Kansas City, here while back in an area where, where a lot of people walk restaurants, things like that. I had a dude deeper into an alley. Uh, I hear hollering, you know, is the dude yelling at me? I don't know. Uh, put a thousand lumens down the alley. And then he, what is, what does he know? I see you. I see where you're at. I see you are there. Uh, that communicates a certain level of situational awareness that when you're in a, a pre-muck scenario, uh, people are like, oh, crap, if I'm looking for an easy target, that guy already knows where I'm at and what I'm about. Can't do that with a pistol-mounted light. Uh, can I flash cars, like like let's say I roll up on a wreck or I'm in, been involved in a wreck, can I flash cars as a warning with a flashlight kind of direct in traffic in a non-cop mode? Yeah, that's that's another signaling thing. But uh, as far as target ID uh, or uh, target, you know, positive identification, uh, it's pretty much a gimme in civilian self-defense roles because it's the dude robbing you right now. Uh, that's not that's not ambiguous. That that's not uh, you know, is this the right guy? No, it, it's the guy. That's either happening or it's not. Well, and we'll get into that some more in a. Uh a second here. So right now we're talking with Chuck Haggard about weapon mounted lights and other stuff. We we need to make time to to talk about awesome mustache tips, but you know, at the end of the show if we have time. And anyway, you guys are listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Hey, guys. Big Tex Outdoors is now bigtexordinance.com. This segment brought to you by bigtexordinance.com. Bigtexordinance.com is your best place to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the Candela from ModLite at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and now you need an optic on your pistol? Well, BigTexOrdinance.com has those. Glock accessories, yes. Fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOrdinance.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike and you'll like Ike too. Visit BigTexOrdinance.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So we're... We're talking about the the uses for weapon-mounted light for a private citizen in public, and you were you were kind of saying that uh, when a dude's robbing you, it's kind of obvious as far as to which one's robbing you. And yeah, that's I mean, it, it's not a who done it, you know. Yeah, yeah. How how is this happening right now? Um, the other thing too is that. You know, this is kind of something I think people don't like to talk about as well, is if you look at the the shootings that private citizens get into, and even the shootings that most law enforcement get into, law enforcement, the mix is not as one-sided. But primarily, would you say that it's fair to assume that if you're a private citizen, you are going to get into a, if you get into a shooting, it's going to be a reactionary shooting versus a proactive shooting? That's absolutely the case. Um, in, in As far as legal use of force, yeah. who determines 
when you use force and who determines what level of force that you have to use. The bad guy does. You don't get to choose, hey, I'm going to go over here and uh, throw an arm bar on this guy, or I'm going to go over here and uh, bust a cap in this guy's kneecap. Those are criminal actions. Those are only justified when you have extraordinarily uh, even when you have extraordinary circumstances justifying, or, you know, the, the, the entire verbiage of a justified homicide, it means that the bad guy did something that forced you into a scenario where you had no other viable option but to kill them. So the bad guy chooses that. The bad guy makes contact. Uh, they're the ones doing the robbery, they're whatever the case may be. Um, and we know when we have these really bad negative outcome things that, uh, like, you know, Claude Warner, tactical professor, talks about <clears throat> when we have, uh, like, the, the idiots that got into a gunfight over a dumpster, things like that, uh, where people are pressing the fight against other people. At best, when you have a scenario like that, it's a mutual combat and, you know, somebody dies or somebody gets shot, somebody goes to prison, maybe everybody goes to prison. Um, none, none of that's legit use of force. None of that is a legit defensive scenario. So the bad guy picks the fight. The bad guy forces us into a scenario where we have to use force, and we don't really have much choice about it. Uh, that, that is a legitimate defensive scenario. So building off of that, the thing that people don't like to talk about is – you know, and this this is something that I will – you know what? I will make an absolute statement, um, and I don't like them. I don't like them for the same reasons you don't, but I feel pretty comfortable saying this, and I'll, I'll, I'll give a caveat or two. But – so that I'm already backing away from my absolute statement. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm such a chicken. I'm, I'm – wa- you're crawfishing, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in reactionary shootings, weapon-mounted lights don't get activated. They they just don't. Because if we're looking at it from a task versus priority standpoint, if the gun has not left the holster until you need to shoot somebody, unless you're using something like a pressure switch or it's a light, that comes on every time you draw it, which has its own set of problems. Both of those do. Mm-hmm. The light's yep. not getting turned on, period. It, it's not. Uh, the, the, the brain doesn't work that way, and I would argue that it's not necessary for the light to get turned on anyway. And I, I'm curious, and this is something we have a lot of video of because we've got a ton of traffic stops that – you know, get recorded that turn into shootings that seem to be going pretty okay, or at least to the officer on, in the moment, seem to be going pretty okay. And then, oh shit, I need to shoot this person. Have you ever seen <clears throat> anybody, unless the gun was already out and unless they had turned it on or unless they had drawn the gun to issue like verbal commands and turned it on in that moment, have you ever seen somebody draw a firearm intending to shoot it? take the time to turn a weapon-mounted light on in any of these videos? I, I don't know of a single case. Um, 
I don't know of a single case at all where, where that's been the case. If they didn't pre-plan it, yeah. uh, like, uh, you know, I have a friend that's a canine officer that was involved in a shooting off of a track, but they were out, they were out in the boonies, you know, um, low light, that kind of thing. Uh, had a guy try to ambush him, uh, hiding in a, in a dark ditch. So already, already had the canine out. It was already a planned activity already had, you know, had the light on his pistol that, that he was working with things like that. Yeah. We see some of that. Yep. Uh, but you know, if, if we look at scenarios like every single one of Tom Gibbons student database, mm-hmm. uh, and he, you know, he's looked at that extensively, uh, in, in none of those shootings was a light used in none of those shootings was a light needed. So, you know, if they'd had a, night, a light, didn't need it, you know, um, it, it the the idea for me that, that started this whole conversation and we're on now that oh you got to have it that's demonstrably false and then the whole well it's better to to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it um, yeah no it's not because it comes with a high price and task load and extra training that you have to accomplish before the pistol mounted light becomes a negative because I can tell you the, the situations you're talking about, we, we can't come up with one where somebody reactionary drew to the shot or drew to a defensive gun use and turn the light on. But I can point you to incident after incident after incident where people got suckered into an ND trying to manipulate their light while they're trying to manipulate their pistol. Yep. Um, and the other thing too is that, and this is, I know it's, I know it's very prevalent inside of law enforcement and <clears throat> it's, it's kind of a little bit, well, it's, it's not a little bit, it's a pretty big problem inside of the concealed carry world as well. The number of people that are pointing guns at people that have not met the legal requirement to point a gun at them yet. And, you know, one of the arguments in the the earlier video that I referenced, and again, I'm not saying anything bad about this dude, not saying anything bad about his coursework. I think he does a lot of good stuff. But one of the statements that he makes in this video is that you can control the amount of visual information that somebody's receiving by putting a weapon-mounted light in their eyes and... I disagree with that because well you're committing it's not it's not a light it's a gun exactly with a light on it so you can utilize a handheld light very effectively to uh, make make people see spots to control their visual information to leave them at a disadvantage I've utilized uh, handheld lights to set people up for a blast of pepper spray I've utilized handheld lights to set them up for a takedown I've used it for, you know, armbar takedowns, uh, all, all kinds of stuff where it was part of my physical control tactics uh, or tactics that I've used against people. But if we're pointing a gun at people and we shouldn't be pointing a gun at them yet in virtually every state in the union, that is an aggravated assault, which is a rather serious person's felony. Uh, and in some cases, like in my state, placing somebody in a reasonable fear of death or great bodily harm or actually pointing a weapon at somebody is by law a use of force. All uses of force have to be articulably reasonable, period, end of discussion. 
They have to be, particularly in law enforcement. They have to be reasonable. They have to be constitutional. Shining lights in people's faces before we're very, very close to being able to legally shoot them, uh, and we're doing that with a gun, uh, that's literally a felony. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say is that I'm, I'm not saying you can't use a weapon mounted light to do it. I'm saying you shouldn't because, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're using a weapon mounted light to full effect to control someone's vision, the muzzle is somewhere over their ocular window, you know, Some, oh, yeah. somewhere, oh, yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. And frankly, and I would defer to your expertise on this, but I'm of the opinion that there are too many cops doing that sort of thing and that the room for a private citizen to get away with it is pretty darn close to zero. Uh, That's absolutely the case. Uh, That's one of my problems that I have with police making air quotes again here. Training is that, uh, you know, like in my state, a lot of, uh, a lot of troops only, shoot the state mandated call course once or twice a year. They only have to do it once a year, 50 rounds. What do you do on a qualification course? The gun always comes out of the holster. It goes straight to the target. You drive to center mass, finger goes to the trigger. What do people habituate themselves to do? That. So they're constantly drawing the gun and putting muzzles on people that they should not have muzzles on. And it happens epidemically. Uh, I had somebody argue, uh, you know, Lee Weems and I were talking about this just the other day on a podcast I did with him. He's he's a veteran cop. I'm a fairly veteran cop. Uh, other other friends of mine that uh, we have this discussion with, like Rich Grassi, uh, editor of Tactical Wire, good friend of mine, retired uh, sheriff's deputy and uh, master firearms trainer, a bunch of other people. Tom Givens would be one of them. We don't. We shouldn't be pointing guns at people that we don't need to point guns at. And pointing guns at people is something you do right before you shoot them, as in an effort to let them know, "Hey, dude, I can legally shoot you. I'd rather not, but I'm about to if you don't stop doing whatever it is you're doing." Um, around here, in my state, cops are epidemically pointing guns at people just because we have fortuitous outcomes means that those bad tactics are continually reinforced. I know a lot of people think, oh, well, my trigger finger, you know, that's, no, your trigger finger is not your safety. Uh, If we look at, like, I know you've been through four science. We look at the science, people get fingers on triggers unconsciously and deny doing it until confronted with video evidence because they don't know they're doing it. Yep to uh, steal a line from Bill Rogers through uh, Claude Warner, muzzle direction is and always has been our primary safety. We need to be very cognizant of that. Right. Um, I have some follow-up questions, but it's time for the break again. We're uh, talking with Chuck Haggard. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at Easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment also brought to you by Centurion Arms. Even if you're just a cook, a lowly, lowly cook. Are you calling tactical nukes from your couch every night with ease? You need to know that your life-saving equipment is going to work, and Centurion Arms knows it too. Veteran-owned and operated, Centurion Arms is dedicated to producing firearms, parts, and accessories with an outstanding level of quality, functionality, and precision at prices you can afford. 
Whether you just need a new rail or barrel or something else to finish off your latest build, or maybe you want to take all the guesswork out and buy a complete rival, Centurion Arms has got what you need and knows that when you need it, you need it to work. Visit CenturionArms.com today to check out all their awesome products. Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. So we were talking about muzzle direction uh, being the primary safety, always has, always will be. And here's, here's a question that, that I'm curious to get your answer on. <clears throat> Can you think of, I guess, again, private citizen, can you think of a context to where you could point a gun directly at somebody's face and not get charged with a felony if they hadn't met the legal requirements for deadly force already? No, no, I can't. Uh, what what you're doing is if you if you're pointing a gun at another human being, you're committing an aggravated assault. Uh, just like you know, we, if we have homicide, then we have to be able to justify that homicide to make it legal instead of a murder. Well, if we look at that the lesser crime of aggravated assault, what do we have to have? We have to have a legally justified reason, a reasonable reason for having done that. Uh, because I'm scared, because that's the way we do business, because I think it's a good idea. None of those are reasonable articulations of why you are committing a felony uh, or what would be a felony in non-defensive circumstances. I I can't think of a reason that you – I can't think of a scenario in which somebody could articulate where that would be reasonable why we are doing that. So is uh, it quite frankly, I think it's tactically lazy. Uh, people want to use cool guy gear out of context. Uh, we have in the, in this industry, we have a whole lot of to steal a uh, cool term from uh Tamar keel. We have a whole lot of people committing what we call what uh, I would refer to as cargo cult behavior. They have gear. They don't understand how it works. They don't understand the context of it. But, uh, man, it looks really cool. looks uh, fun on the Instagrams. Uh, and, frankly, I think, it, it's again, it's tactically lazy. I don't want to get good at shooting with one-handed. I don't want to you do the work to be competent with a handheld light as a multi-role tactical tool. So I'm going to stick a, uh, a light on my pistol and call it all good because when I'm on the live fire range, I shoot more gooder that way. Uh, it, it's incre- it's incredibly lazy and, in my in my opinion, negligent behavior. So again, as a general, and, and I'm sorry for emphasizing this point, but there's there's a reason, and I I want to walk people through the logic. So generally, we can't point guns at people that we can't shoot. And like that that's a, a fair uh, legally can't shoot. So. Pretty- you better you better be really close you know what's what's the uh what what's the 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 legal definition of what we can and can't do you know probable cause mm-hmm. uh you know i have probable cause to believe that guy was doing xyz uh and you know i have to deal with this in police work all the time because it's just much much more common 
but you have to have at minimum a probable cause in order to be putting force on other people. I have probable cause that, um, you know, let's say I have a muck scenario and I, uh, I see a guy, uh, he does some plucking behavior. So I think maybe he's got a, uh, gun in his waistband. He targets me, starts well, walking over to me while I'm pumping gas uh, into my truck at the convenience store. Am I going to key up on that behavior? I'm going to key up on that behavior. As he gets close, if I tell him, hey, hold up, buddy, you're making me uncomfortable, um, you know, and he's like, hey, can you give me a dollar whatever? Sorry, buddy, can't help you out. Uh, he continues to encroach. Am I going to threaten to kill him at that point? What's my legal justification for that? I, I, I'm kind of hinky. I've got reasonable suspicion to believe that he might have a weapon in his waistband, but do I have probable cause to believe that I'm in a deadly force scenario yet? Um, hell, maybe the guy gets verbally belligerent. That would be the point to draw, draw to low ready, issue a verbal command to you know get the F back, things like that. Those are, those are scenarios off-duty that I've been involved in, but... Can I legally commit an aggravated assault at that point uh, to, what, ward this guy off, scare him away, whatever the case may be? You know, that's really dangerous territory there. And we better be right. We better be right. Uh, nowadays, how many cameras are out there? Nowadays, how many, uh, you know, cell phones are out there? Um, and you think you, you're getting away with stuff. Uh, I just looked at a case. A dude was a, a security guard uh, over in uh, Missouri that used force against a patron leaving the bar, didn't do his incident report for his security company, and then I think he thought he was going to get away with it, and then he got hemmed up on an assault charge. Um, there are odds of it not being something that get, goes to court or gets looked at by a DA someplace uh, or, or extraordinarily low, you know, and then if you're trying to hide what you did, you're trying to skate out of there, uh, that's, that's kind of shady behavior. So, you know, not only do we have to be right, we have to look right. We have to look right in a wide range of uh, venues because your odds of getting caught on camera are going to be very high. Well, so my next question is we have to have probable cause before we can do something like that. Generally, Chuck, and, and I'm not a smart dude, and I consider you uh, much more intelligent than me, so I will ask your opinion of this. If you had to pick one of the primary senses that we might use to, I don't know, gather that information to, to sort of perceive that probable cause, which primary sense would we use? Well, we do. We know we know humans uh, gather about ninety percent of their available information visually. Uh, you know, if we have any, if we have a bad guy approaching us, looking at their demeanor, looking at their, uh, you know, their face, their body language, or their actions, uh, how they're carrying themselves, that sort of thing. Okay, that's uh, that's that's all going to be in play. Uh, and then you know the scenario that that you and I were just talking about, where you know, do you pull a pistol? Do you not pull a pistol? What you know? What I can legally do any day of the week. You know what doesn't constitute an assault or a crime in any way, shape, or form. Shining lights in people's faces when it's a handheld light and it's not a weapon. You can walk down the street. I, I mean, everybody would think you were uh, you know a DB for doing it, but you could walk down the street with a mod light and uh, shine it in people's faces all day long. What crime have you committed? 
you have not. Well, and the, the point that I was trying to get across is that to draw the, the information that we would need to decide whether or not to draw a gun that presumably has a weapon mounted light on it, we would need to see something, right? And yeah, that, that, absolutely. And that kind of, kind of goes, well, if I need to see it before I can use the weapon mounted light on my gun, what am I using the weapon mounted light on my gun for? But, I, I think yeah, you, I, th- uh... I think you kind of see the point that I'm trying to make. Now we we've we've spent a lot of time on you know a probably not necessary. Can you can you go over some of the reasons why people might want to have one on the the gun if you know assuming that they're willing to go and learn how to use it and assuming that uh... it doesn't. Um, it doesn't have any major drawbacks for them for concealment or holster compatibility. Let's let's say those are non-issues. Like they're going to get all the training in the world, and a, it's comfortable and effective for them to conceal it. Like what are what are some of the reasons someone might pick one or have one? Well, <laughs> you know, my my buddy up in Alaska that has to worry about bears. That's one. Yep. Um, you know, that, that would be, you know, obviously that's a completely different scenario than most of what people think of as a defensive gun use. Uh, other than that, the only, and what people latch onto is these black swan events. Um, you look at the, uh, the theater shooter in Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, people are like, well, you know, the theater's dark and if you'd had a weapon mounted, they put themselves in that scenario and then they start looking for gear solutions to solve that problem. Uh, you know, what would your ability be to make a shot through a crowd at a dude across a dark movie theater? Uh, you know, I, I think I, I think that's not as simple a problem as people think it is. But, you know, let's say I had a thousand lumen pistol light and I was comfortably carrying it and I was extraordinarily well trained and I could make a shot on a bad guy all the way across a movie theater. Um because for that to be a real problem, they would have to be all the way across the movie theater. Because if the dude was right on top of you, uh, it, it would be kind of a gimme, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know that would be that would be a scenario where if I was going to come up with hypotheticals, yeah, sure. In that very niche scenario that's happened once ever, uh, would a competent user with a quality weapon mounted light be able to utilize that that gear uh within the, the confines of the scenario sure sure but you know then again what kind of weapon mounted light are we talking about because some of these little lights you know the the 300 lumen 500 lumen their spotlights i mean uh, you know their floodlights instead of spotlights is that going to reach all the way across the movie theater most people aren't even carrying a light that is you know if they're going to put a light on their gun they're not utilizing a light that's even capable of handling that scenario Yep. So, you know, you, you would have to have the, an extraordinary convergence of the right scenario and the right conditions with the right person, with the right training, with the right gear, all there at the same time. Uh, and, you know, that Aurora movie theater incident was about the only one I could think of in a non-law enforcement role. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, too, because I, I do carry a weapon mounted light. Uh, 
not all the time, but most of the time. And and the thing about that is that if you're, you know, it's my opinion that if you're going to do that, you know, the weapon-mounted light is there to support pre-existing skill, knowledge, and capability. And if you don't have those things, then sort of, as you pointed out earlier in the show, it's more of a detriment than it is an advantage. Uh, the other thing that I would say, too, is, you know, I, I can think of some non-light producing reasons that you might want to have one. So, like, nothing to do with its ability to output light, but just some, like, byproducts. Oh, I, I, I agree. I agree completely. You know, uh, <laughs> Uh, is, is it a muzzle weight? Uh, are, you, are your build drills going to be faster? Sure. Uh, and then one that most people don't even think of that I've found uh, since, you know, a big chunk of my training I do at NLATC is weapon retention. Uh, when you have a light on the end of your pistol, uh, then it's harder for somebody else to grab it because instead of grabbing the gun barrel, they're grabbing what's basically a two-by-four that compromises their grip. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that that is a thing. Um, you know, as far as like legitimate people carrying guns, I got a couple of friends that are, well, I got this gun, I got this light. I want to have a light on my gun for home defense. I don't want to have to take the light on and off. And this is my one primary carry gun that I have. That's also my home defense gun. So, uh, I am just going to put up with the, uh, BS of having to, deal with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go buy like a filter floodlight and just carry this thing. And that way I don't have to take the light on and off the gun all the time. Yep. Okay. You know, knock yourself out. Uh, and they're doing that, realizing the issues involved. And I'll say they're also carrying very capable handheld lights when they're out uh, among, you know, in the public doing their business. Yep. Yeah. Um, so to be clear, everyone that's listening, this is going to sound like a big, long episode of Hey, don't buy these. Don't put them on your gun. And I don't care. I don't care. I really don't. Um, what I'm saying, and you know, I'd be curious to get your final thoughts as well, is if you want to do it, knock yourself out. Just know why you're doing it. Don't do it because somebody in the internet mm-hmm. said that it was mandatory because it's not. I mean, and you know, you you noted this. Uh, it's demonstrably false that it's necessary. Because we've got, yeah, you know, at this point, a lot of evidence that suggests that it's not, um, you know, you know, real life, real world incidents that were not affected by the presence or lack thereof of weapon mounted light that turned out just fine. And, you know, then someone's going to say, well, you know, plenty of people don't carry a gun and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. You know, that's the same argument that people use for not carrying a gun. I'm like, no, it's not. It's really not. <laughs> no. Um, it's, if we refer back to Tom Gibbons' students, we have, what is it now, 67 wins, zero losses, and it's up to three or four, what, defaults. Mm-hmm. So we have very real people who are very dead because they weren't carrying their gun, and then we have very real people that 100% of the time when they had their gun, were able to utilize it, effectively defend themselves, who also did not need a light mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're at the end of the show, man. I appreciate you coming on. If people want to go and take training with you 
or just find out more about you or anything like that, where can they find you at? So my site is, uh, <laughs> you know, I couldn't get my, uh, my company name is Agile Training and Consulting. But uh, as far as like domain names, I ended up with Agile Tactical, all one word, dot com. Because, you know, you have to get what the Internet's going to let you have. So uh, agiletactical.com is my site, my uh, um, side business site. Got my training calendar up there. And then I actually do quite a bit of off-calendar stuff, uh, special request classes, uh, personalized instruction, things like that, because my entire model is clients' needs, um, analyzing needs, giving them training that fits those needs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chuck, um, thank you for the last um, coming up on, I don't know, eight, nine, ten something years of uh, friendship and mentorship and general awesomeness that you have provided me, sir. I very much appreciate it. Um, And I appreciate you taking time out of your, your day to come talk to everyone, too. My pleasure. So. All right, guys, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And, hey, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes if you think we've earned it. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week.